Hey, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish, author of Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, and you're listening to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week, Morris and Jessica talk about what goes into a million-dollar RPG crowdfunding campaign. In the news, a new patch for Baldur's Gate 3 has been announced with Mac support coming. New D&D and Critic Role minis are on the way from WizKids. The Pathfinder Galaspire video game is now in early access and more. Plus, a brand new sketch about determining the terms of a duel. This week on Morse's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. This week's podcast is sponsored by the League for the Rehabilitation of Fantasy Villains. From Lord Soth to Bargle the Infamous, Wenger to Verminard, and Vecna to Artemis and Terry. The League promises to rebrand, reform, and relaunch your murderous career into something softer and more suited to the modern world. Hmm. Maybe I should join. I'm more villainous than all of them put together. Which of them made a giant rat colossus, huh? Huh? All the tabletop role-play news. We aim to amuse and we aim to enthuse. And Morris is unofficial tabletop RPG. Hello, 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 and welcome to Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG talk. I am Russ, aka Morris, or Morris, aka Russ. And with me this week is. Oh, I was expecting a better intro. I'm used to Peter doing it. Um, it's me, Jessica from EM Publishing. <laughs> totally caught you out. <laughs> and there's no Peter, so I there's didn't. No I didn't. I haven't got my hype up for the week. Normally, Peter comes in and just like energizes just, me for the week. Yeah, yeah. It's my hype person. What? What's that? Is that? On the you know on like the boxing matches here I yeah. am talking about how expert I am at boxing matches yes that, me that, too that person that person that does that that's yeah the that? hype person is that what that's called I don't know I'm not really I don't know. you're really <laughs> I don't know why you looked at me like Jess you'll know this um yeah I don't know well that's I'm thinking more like music and things like that like that's mm. you you get a hype anyway do you want to do you want to talk about role playing games. Yeah, let's talk about news and role-playing games and stuff. Not that there is much news this week, but there the is little news there is we shall cover, nevertheless. There's news I'm excited about. Okay. So, Tell me the piece of news you're most excited about. Uh, okay, yeah, so Baldur's Gate 3. So we talked Baldur's ab- Gate 3? Yes, so we, pe- we <clears> talked <throat> about it Baldur's a couple Gate of episodes 3. ago. You don't like Baldur's Gate 3 anymore? Why, Russ? Would you like to share with everyone what you did? It annoyed me. What did you do? What did I do? What did it do? <laughs> This is where you share with the listeners your experience. <laughs> what happened was, I spent like 90 minutes walking around this stupid grove talking to these really, really boring druids. <laughs> and then, <laughs> the game crashed, and it hadn't been saved in 90 minutes. Right, okay. And I was like, can I face walking around this boring druid grove talking to these really boring druids for another 90 minutes? Because it was really boring the first time. Can I do it again? And I decided, no, I cannot face that. So, yeah. uh, so basically, that's as far as I got in the game, and now I've stopped. Okay, cool. So you didn't save for 90 <laughs> minutes. Quite a wild choice. I thought it auto-saved. It, it does at times, but you do... But not having 90 minutes. It depends. It's only when you get to an auto-save, but usually that's like right before you go into combat or something. Hmm. 
Anyway, I've been anyway. I've been playing a lot of Watergate Three, but I we both have the Mac pre-release version, mm. which was meant to come out on sixth of September, which did mm-hmm. not. Uh, and so I've well, now. That's run probably up... why it crashed. You see, maybe if it wasn't the Mac pre-release version, it wouldn't have crashed. Maybe, but anyway, I have played about forty hours, and I've run out of stuff to do. Like I've really has it ever crashed for you though. No, has it crashed even once? No. Oh. I've encountered one or two bugs and things, but it's always stuff I'd be able to work around. And because I save quite regularly, I'm just able to reload a recent save. Oh, really? You save quite regularly, I do, yes. Do you now? I do. (laughs) Um, But anyway, so I've kind of run out of stuff to do uh, because I think they say there's about 25 hours worth of stuff in the pre-release version. They said I've managed to stretch out to 40 by like looking Mm. at every pebble and rock everywhere and speaking to every NPC. So I'm kind of itching to to get the Mac release. And we didn't uh, know when that was going to be. They just vaguely said September. But Mm. earlier this week, they confirmed it's going to be next week, Thursday, the 21st of September. They're doing another patch update for general other people. uh, Mm -hmm. And also, but it's the full Mac version which is coming out. I'm so excited. Uh, So excited. So what's in the... so what is it? Is it stopped partway through? Is yeah. It, uh, so yeah, so it's just oh, right. it's just the first area. So all of my quests are now taking me out to other areas, and I go up to it to go through, and it's like, oh, this is included in the pre-release early access version, hmm. which is fair enough because it's the early access version, so you only get a certain area. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm itching to carry on the story and stuff I'm doing, and also I'm going to get the chance to create a new character. So I'm now in the. I, we can swap comments around the podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I can't remember if I have. Before. I'm now. Um, the... I think Daryl tends to beat them out, but I don't think he has to. Okay. Anyway, I'm now in the fuck around and find out section of playing the game because now I know that I'm going to create a new character because your character saves mm. don't port over between versions. So I'm just trying out weird stuff now because I'm like, well, what's going to happen? Doesn't matter. Well, um, you have to start a game from the beginning then. Yeah, you redo it because it's it's a different version of the game. So I'd have to talk to. You have to talk to the yeah. Well, you oh don't my. have to. You could. You could. It's a role-playing game. You don't have to talk to them. You could just go in and massacre them, or you could just ignore them. It's a big world. Mm. So you can do whatever you want. Mm. Okay. You also on cutscenes, you can just click through. I'm definitely so you don't not going to play any more of it now. If there's, if, if I, if I would have to start again anyway. Okay. You're less excited by this news. Anyway, I am very excited. So I'm going to download it Thursday evening, and I put aside my whole weekend uh, mm. just to play Baldur's Gate all weekend. That's all I'm going to okay. do. I'm going to play Baldur's Gate, uh, so not this weekend, but the next. That's all I'm going to be doing. I'm not seeing okay. anybody. I'm not leaving my house. Um, I'm just going to play through that. And I'm very mm. excited about that. Mm. Anyway, but that's so yeah, the next update is coming to that. Um, and also, uh, related in our TTRPG-inspired digital games, Pathfinder Galley Spire Survivors launches into Steam Early Access uh, today. Mm-hmm. Yesterday. Tell, tell now, me about this game. So uh, we talked about it previously before because we had an announcement a while back, but it's a digital game in the Pathfinder universe. You play mm-hmm. a fighter, wizard, or rogue. Oh, I remember, it's yeah. It's a roguelite uh, survivor no game. The one where you play the cleric. Yeah, I remember yes. that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no cleric. So it's in early access now on Steam uh, for six ninety nine. It's a lot cheaper than Baldur's Gate. Uh, it's, a, it's a different vibe of game, but it's just because it's also, you know, it's a TTRPG-inspired digital game, so that's mm-hmm. why I thought I'd link those two points together. Yeah. Paizo's also been doing other things. Paizo's been working on full support for Pathfinder Society's Year of Unfettered Exploration and the Starfinder Society's Year of Fortune's Fall on mm-hmm. Foundry Virtual Tabletop. So I think the modules are out there, and it's an organised play module, and I think that yeah, is so, up now. Yeah, this is kind of like their version of uh, D&D Adventures League, yes. basically. Yes, yes. Uh, and it's version, yeah. And it's up now on Foundry. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, and they're having live streams uh, that you can go and have a look and get more information about it. Do you know what I'm looking at? Uh, no. 
I am looking at miniatures. Oh yes, I I know about miniatures. Tell me tell me uh, what you see. And I am not talking about those little bottles of whiskey that you can get. Oh no, I don't know. You've lost me. That's that's not the type of miniatures I am talking about. I am talking about a type of miniature. Get this, Jess. Mm-hmm. Get this. Right for role playing games and stuff. What they do is they make these little like plastic models, mm-hmm. like figurines, if you will. Yeah. About an inch in height of mm-hmm. uh, of, of, of like some of the characters and monsters to be found within those games. How wild. It's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. So anyway. I wonder um, what it would take to manufacture such things. <laughs> I wonder. Perhaps if only we, we should... had someone who knew. <laughs> Perhaps we should talk about the later stuff over the week. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so, so there's some different ones coming from D&D and Critical Role um, being produced by Wizkids, who pretty much do a lot of these um, licensed stuff. Oh, I'm looking at them now. They're pre-painted. Yes. Uh, yes, they've got to be pre-painted for me because I will not buy unpainted miniatures because I will not paint them. Yeah, will never paint them. So we've got a D&D Classics collection line. Mm-hmm. And this one is a set, $89.99. They're not cheap. $89.99. Mm-hmm. Pre-painted plastic minis. And this is Monsters K2N because there's a whole range of these. Yes. So in this one, you get a kobold, a lich, a lizard folk, a mind flare, a minotaur, a merfolk, a mummy, and a naga. Nice. Yes. The Naga looks hilarious with the face. Just the, yes, just yeah, a, that is a, a full-on yeah. human face just stuck I've on a snake. I've always found Nagas look really... It, they don't work for me as a monster. It looks comical. Yeah, it looks really yeah. comical. It's yeah. literally like what? they've just taken the head off like an orc or something and yeah, just, stuck and just stuck it, it on there. Yeah, on And it looks really surprised, doesn't it? Look? Yeah, I'd be yeah. surprised to be there as well. Yeah, yeah. So I like the Mind Flayer. The Mummy is coming out of a sarcophagus. Good for them. Which makes it slightly less easy to use in-game, I suppose. But well, um, And the lich looks cool. I like yeah. the lich. Um, so that's that set. Mm-hmm. And then we have got a Icons of the Realm line. There's lots of those, obviously. So this is the 30th one of those, because they've been doing those forever. Is this and like, this is Planescape Yeah, related. I was about to say, because there's like an eyeball in winged armour. Yeah. So Planescape's <laughs> coming out, what, soon-ish now. Um, and Chris Perkins over at Wizard of uh-huh. the Coast has posted on social media pictures of the set that they've gotten. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they've got copies arriving in the office now. Yeah, yeah. So he's posting pictures of that. So it physically exists now. So that would be coming out. You know, they've got Pandelver to get through first. But then Planescape is coming out of that. But the miniatures have been announced, coming out in March 2024. A while away. And you get a set of 47 Planescape miniatures. That's quite a lot. And then you get boosters, which are 19.99 each. So 49... Ninety nine for the, the the big one, and then nineteen ninety nine for the others. What the sorry? What are the boosters? Uh, so that's right. So the base set is the forty seven, uh, modrons, oh. cranium rats, fiends, celestials, and more. The boosters will have oh, so- a large and three medium or small pre painted. Oh, so this is just like mystery. What you get? So you just yeah. buy the random. Oh, okay. That- yeah, so I think that the base set, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's an odd concept because I think for miniatures you would have a specific mini you want in mind. You're like, okay, I'm gonna run. Nah, this campaign that. module... Wizards have done that forever. I don't know about other companies, but Wizards have definitely done that forever. I don't know. I think that's strange. Uh, because mm. if I'm running a game, I want a specific mini because I, I want to play I think, with this monster. I don't know. I think you'll know what's in the box. I don't I don't think you can't tell what's in the box. Oh, okay. But no, it says random boosters. Hmm. So you okay, just get... maybe they are then. Ooh, who knows? Who knows? Wizards of the Coast will. Maybe we'll find out in the next press knows. release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we got we got a, a big old adult time dragon. 
Mm-hmm. Not a red dragon, not a blue dragon, a time dragon. And it's like a big white and blue dragon with lots of powerful. whiskers and an hourglass. I don't even know what a time dragon is. Where's the time dragon from? Icons of like the missed that. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, so that's big. Um, that's $99 for that. Wow. And then <laughs> you can have a green dragon trophy head, which you can stick on your wall. This is kind of... I do see that. It says life-sized. I don't know if it is life-sized, but it's made of... Of a real latex. dragon. <laughs> of a real dragon. Yeah. Uh, f- that's uh, $479. Wow. A little more expensive. Yeah. And then for $649, you can get a red dragon wormling... I can't say that. that is... Red dragon wormling foam figure. It is very Two and a half cute. feet tall. It is. It does because it's a little one. It looks like a puppy sat looking at you. You know you when know you've just taught a puppy how to sit and it's waiting for yeah, a treat. That's cool. how it is looking. So me and my brother have a problem. Do you want to share want, it on the podcast or? We want yeah dinosaur garden ornaments. Right. So you can get elephants and bears. Yeah. And you can get dragons. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a garden ornament because it's foam. It probably. Yeah. No, you shouldn't. You can't, you can't get those. Way, no, you? you shouldn't get that. Put not for the garden. Yeah. But we, we really want dinosaurs. Like I'm made of stone sure or whatever. You they can't. Exist. They don't exist. They, they, don't they exist. do. They will. They don't. We've checked Please. the internet. We've checked garden centres. We've checked everywhere. Please, everybody send Russ links to garden ornaments of, of dinosaurs. Well, proper decent sized ones. Not like three inch high things. They've got to be sort of like a foot or two at least in size. Okay. And so the brief, everyone spam Russ with the links. <laughs> anyway, this, this red dragon is two and a half feet tall. And yeah, it looks like a puppy looking up at you. Yeah. Yeah. Very cute. Yeah. If yeah, I was very, very, very rich and had a gaming room, I might put it in the corner. 649.99. But no, I'm not. Well, next time you come out here, that might be there. No, it won't. <laughs> I was thinking, it are you? Okay. <laughs> no, it won't. It's too much. Yeah. You're yeah. going to spend it on a real life puppy. <sighs> I cost more than that. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah. <laughs> right, and then what else have we got? We've got some Critical Role ones. Yeah, so the Exandria Unlimited Calamity box set. So it's got... Yes. These are again pre-painted and it's all the NPCs um, from the mm. from the uh, actual play. Yes. I would I re- would read out their names, but I would embarrass myself. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, dyslexia is coming in. One I mean, th- I could try. One of them does look try. like Jonathan from, from the D&D movie, though. Uh, which one was Jonathan? Jonathan. Remind me. At the beginning, when they... Oh, well, the uh, Aracrocra. Yes. 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 Yeah. 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 I remember. Not Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan. It's a very different. Fan- John- it's a very different fantasy name. Totally different name. Yes. Completely. Yes. Like that. Like that kid in the latest Star Wars series isn't called Jason. What's he called? <laughs> it's spelled like J A Y C E N or something like that. It's definitely not Jason. <laughs> okay. Sure. <laughs> but it takes every time I hear the name, it takes me out of it. He's like, "Who's next, Steve?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Anyway, uh, Space Steve. <laughs> Yeah. Also, Critical Role have this mini, which is a six-inch tall pre-painted figure, oh, and man. it's the mother well, of shade creepers. Mother but... of shade creepers, yeah, uh, from the Bell's Hells campaign, and it's shade mother. Yeah. It's gross. It's it's creepy, isn't it? Yeah, it's like a spider maggot-looking thing that's clearly yeah, like this brood mother that's gonna like birth some like celestial monstrosities. Slug with a a spider my... appendage at the front. Yeah, it's like a it's like a spider, like like a drider, like for the drow. They got like a, a human, not human, but an elf Which body. Which isn't a spider because it's called something different. An elf drider. body and a drider, yeah. Elf, yeah. An elf body and then a spider body yes. underneath. Yes. That it looks like that, but instead instead of the spider body, they got a spider body top 
and then like a slug body underneath. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, people that know Critical Role will know the mother of Shade Creepers. Um, and so that's a mini, and that's quite gross. It is quite gross, yeah. Should we move on? Yeah. Yeah, that is gross as heck. Okay, go on. What's next? So, I was looking through some RPG bundles and kind of freebies. We do have that on EM World, there is the freebie sales and charity bundles every week. Uh, so I looked through there to look at stuff. Written by Daryl, who is our um, podcast editor. Long-suffering. Editor? What's an editor? An editor. Editor. An editor. Podcast editor. Audio engineer. But not an editor, because I don't even know what an editor is. But anyway. Are you done? Let's just wait for you to be done. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> so I was looking through there, because I do every week, to look for stuff. And one that caught my eye was uh, the Delta Green RPG. They have a mega bundle on Bundle of Holding. Mm-hmm. And I've not played Delta Green, but I've heard good things. For people mm-hmm. that don't know, modern day action horror RPG, very kind of Cthulhu mythos sort of style. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, they have like their kind of core collection, which you can get for like seven ninety five PDFs, which I thought was really good. So it's one of those, mm-hmm. if you're interested, so I might pick that up because it's like, I'm kind of interested in Delta Green, haven't jumped in, but you know, for $8, I might just get it, see what it's about and explore it, see if it's something I'm interested in. And also mm-hmm. 10% goes to Direct Relief Charity, so bonus. Yeah. And that's about till the 25th of September for the people interested in getting that as well. Mm. No, I haven't played Delta Green either, but yeah, I'd probably be interested in doing that too. Yeah, so that's why I thought for eight quid, why not? Mm. I could absolutely get that. Right. We really are short on news this week. We are short on news. That's (laughs) what I've got. Wow, this is the shortest news section ever. It really is. Is it? Well, it's about a similar time. We just spent a long time on the topic of the week. True, true. And that's all the news we have this week. Apart from, obviously, the Level Up Advanced 5th Edition Starter Box Kickstarter is now live. Mm. Oh, I did want to quickly call out one Kickstarter from our friend and Mm co-worker, Mike Myler. Oh, yes. Hypercore 2099 Cyberpunk Superheroes for the Wine, what's all his new RPG. He's got it on Kickstarter right now. It's got a week to go. Mm -hmm. It is funded. Um, but if you want to use what's all is new and play superheroes and or cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Using the what's all is new system. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I'd just call that out. Yeah, that's good. And that's just following because we've still got the back of kit open for the what's all is new starter box set. I think we've mm. linked that in the back of kit. So when you've uh, given us your ad- address and gone on there, that'll be linked in there yeah. if you struggle to find it. Or if you just yeah. look up what's all is new on Kickstarter, you should find it there. Yeah. Okay. I think we're done with the news. <laughs> there was no news. Lady Millicent, I must object. That insult cannot pass. And what, pray tell, do you plan to do about it, Sir Bernard? Well, I shall uh, I shall challenge you to a duel. That's what I'll do. <laughs> a duel? You would dare challenge Lady Millicent the Relentless, victor of the Blamange Wars, three-time winner of the Golden Signet, to a duel? I shall have you know, Lady Millicent, if that really is your name. It is. That I led the armies of the Fey Princeling into the Cursed Lands and defeated the Dire Clown's elite badger squad single-handed. When you were young, Sir Bernard, you are well past your prime now. While I am the most decorated knight in all the seven duchies and the top Hydra magazine's list of warriors to watch under 30, I am at the peak of my power while you, sir... While 
I have a wealth of experience and cunning to draw upon. I have defeated more geese than any other knight in history, and I am the sole recipient of the Grand Garter of Daring Do. You would do well to be cautious before making any rash decisions. Talking of rashes, old man, I heard you had to visit the Royal Druid's chamber last week for an undisclosed ailment. <laughs> You're getting weak, old man. You should uh, back down whilst you still can. That was uh, that was for my uh, uh, pet weasel. He was suffering from a bout of ennui. <laughs> right, right. Whatever you say, Bernard, whatever you say. I see we shall not solve this dispute with words. It seems not. A duel it is, then. Dawn next Wednesday? Uh, dawn next Wednesday. It is, uh, uh, that, that's my horse's birthday. Uh, can we do it on Thursday? My stoat is graduating to clown school. How does Friday look for you? Well, that is when I have my armour polished, uh, but Saturday is free. Getting up at dawn on the weekend? No, no, that won't do. Let's set it for the following Monday. Very well, the following Monday, at dawn. In the usual place? The giggling gardens? Very well, Lady Millicent. And the terms? To the death. Then it is settled. All that remains now is the choice of weapons. I choose the traditional Vendelirian fencing dagger. A dagger, eh? Well, then I choose a short sword. <laughs> Wait, what? Well, then I choose a, a a long sword. Well, then I shall select the great sword and struck you down with a single blow. Well, then I'm going to choose the crossbow. Hmm, very well, Millicent, but I shall be wielding the dueling bundabas. Well, then for me, it's the trebuchet. And I'm using the ballista. Uh, cannon. Holy hand grenade. Rocket-propelled dragon lance. DBY-827 Turbo Laser. A Mark IX Heavy Coil Mass Accelerator Cannon. Genesis Torpedo. Death Star Super Laser. Hmm. Okay, you win. Malak the Maleficent here. If, like me, you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing on Patreon for exclusive bonus content every week and the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing you are helping to keep the show going. Subscribe at patreon.com slash Morris. There, I said it. Can you stop staring at me like that now? The things I do. All right, all right. Don't forget... Patreon.com slash Morris. Can I go now? One thing I did want to mention is mm -hmm. million dollar Kickstarters. Yes. Because earlier this year, I remember going on about how this year there didn't seem to be any. Yes. And then come the summer, suddenly we have a massive explosion of them. Tell me about all of these. Yeah, so, Kickstarters. I right? mean, most of them we kind of have mentioned before. The Magnus Archives, which is the Monty Cook one. Mm -hmm. um, shot past a million dollars, like, really quickly. And it's heading yeah. towards two, I think. Yeah. Um, that one ends this month. And there's the Moria one, which just finished. The Lord of the Rings yeah. Moria one. Just what was finished. the final count on that? Uh, just about $1.19 million. Nice. So that, I'm not that, surprised by that because it's very pretty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, Lord of the Rings is such a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we had that Dolmenwood one, like re like a couple of weeks ago. It ended um, yeah. at one point four million dollars. And um, there's another one very recently as well. I can't remember 
my Gloomhaven, yeah. Gloomhaven did uh, 1.4 yeah. million. Yeah, and that was so. back a kick crowdfunding, yeah. Oh, that was even more, actually. That was 5 million, that one, wasn't it? But, that was um, that was yeah. so much. Yeah. So right now, so we've got Magnus Archives um, still ongoing. Warrior just finished. Another one's just popped up called Ryoko's Guide to the Yoko Yokei Realms, oh. which isn't, it hasn't hit a million yet, but it's only, only launched like the other day, but... It, is it on like, trajectory, do you reckon? Very, very... Oh, it has It has a hit, hit million now I look at it. Oh, well, definitely. <laughs> it's at 1.3 yes. million since I last looked at it. Uh, oh, wow. It's still, got, it's still got 27 days to go. Oh, wow. It's, so like, it's only like one or two days in. So that's maybe like two or three million then yeah. looking at. Yeah. When I looked at it, it was like 700,000. And now wow. it's 1.3 million. Someone's so. had a great week. I bet they're rolling into the weekend. Please just so fudge. This is from um, a YouTube channel called D&D Shorts. And it's their first creative Kickstarter. Oh, cool. So, so they have a YouTube following, so they do like actual play stuff, and this is their actual play stuff in a setting book, yeah. is it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know whether it's actual play or not. I guess it is. Okay. Uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the Kickstarter, and they've got an early bird thing. Like, back in the first 72 hours, you get a free dice set, that sort of thing. Cool. Which always front loads Kickstarter. So it'll be interesting to see how, you know, mm-hmm. they've done the million. It's interesting to see yeah. whether it slows down quite a bit. Because I remember um, mm-hmm. Tanaris, Tanares, however you pronounce it, gave away a free miniature. Oh, and they did something cool. like over, well over 50% of their funding in the first day because of that free miniature on the first day. I guess that does make it different. Because normally rule of thumb is your first day funding is like a third. Yeah, yeah. Roughly. Obviously, there's there's differences because I mean, that's, stuff that's for and us. things. That's but, us, yeah. to be fair. Yeah. Um, four million dollar Kickstarters. I, I I was going to go on to that in a second because I worked oh, out really? what it was for them. It's a little. Lot. Oh, is it different? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. So what I've done is I've put together a picture of what a million dollar campaign looks like. Mm-hmm. This is all just averages, right? So I took okay, all yeah, the million, yeah. all of them. So it's twenty uh, thirty one, I think. Yeah, it's thirty one million mm-hmm. dollar TTRPG Kickstarters, and mm-hmm. I just like went through them and said, okay, this is this therefore is what a million dollar Kickstarter looks like. Got it. Okay. Plus so counted stuff. So, mm-hmm. of the 31, 14 of the 31 include miniatures. Yeah. So, nearly half of them include miniatures. Mm-hmm. However, 29 of the 31 include merchandise like pins, t shirts, dice trays, and stuff. Nearly all of them. Like, close that enough. bumps up the average yeah. pledge, yeah. 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 Uh, and 23 of the 31 include dice specifically. Mm-hmm. So, nearly all of them include something other than the game you're pledging for. And about half of them also have minis and dice, pretty much. So that, I thought mm-hmm. that was interesting. And the reason for that, as you just said, is that's about yeah. the average pledge level. Yeah. So the average pledge level for a million-dollar Kickstarter is in the region of $115. Ooh. So the Kickstarter is built with the assumption that the average person, well, maybe not the assumption, but the average person is going to pledge about $115. Mm-hmm. Usually that's not just one book, because... That's a hell of an expensive yeah, yeah, book. Yeah. So it's yeah. usually a book plus add-ons or a book plus miniatures or a book plus dice mm-hmm. or it's something like that. Yeah. So $115 is... It's not... I mean, the, the lowest one was around 70 I think. Yeah. Yeah, Creator and Crow did 70 um, yeah. for the average pledge level and they don't have any add-ons at all. That's why that was so much lower. But still managed mm-hmm. to get past a million dollars, just about. Yeah, did very well. Yeah, and the highest one I got... I interviewed Connor from Coyote and Crow just uh, the other week, and it's yeah. going to go on Not D&D in a couple of weeks as well. Awesome. So if people awesome. want to hear more about that, chat to Connor yeah. there. Little plug. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so they yeah, all the have, highest, yeah. The highest one's $223 as the average pledge level. Mm. So people are buying a lot of stuff in one pledge. It always surprises me, like, how big the pledge levels get to. And the worst and the weirdest thing is people don't claim it, because we did... 
the, the level up Kickstarter was mm. in 2021. We fulfilled that absolutely ages ago. There are still some people on Backerkit who I've been messaging like every week. They've paid like £300 and they haven't claimed their reports. They just haven't mm. given us their address. Mm. So this says to me they, they backed the Kickstarter, paid for it, and then kind of forgotten about yeah, it. I'm like, how could, you forget, yeah. how could you forget about a $300 pledge? Yeah. Because I would notice. I'd be like, I should have had that, you know? Mm. But anyway, mm. but people do. People do. Yeah. People have money, Russ. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not mad at them about it. I'm just, it's so different from my own life experience. Like, I'm so excited for any Kickstarter pledge that I have that when mm. it's, I'm like, I'm waiting for them and I'm aware of when the fulfillment is. So, mm. yeah. To be fair, if you were talking about people that hadn't done that, I found out that three Kickstarters that I backed in the last sort of three or four years, I hadn't done either. I know, because we share the inbox. So I saw those <laughs> messages that you sent out in the creators. And I was like, oh, you're that annoying person that yeah, I have to message for our campaigns. Oh, I'm that person I hate. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, oh. <laughs> yeah, so well, it, does, it does happen. And yeah, that was for three of them for me, so. I think that's just how we are as different people. I think you're a bit more chilled out and I'm a bit more uptight. Yeah, I think also they were quite a long time ago. Yeah. Um, I had literally forgotten about them. Um, the yeah. only reason the only reason I remember them because I was just looking through all my previous Kickstarters, just glancing at them. I'm like, I don't remember that. I don't remember it. And then and then check. Then you were like, oh, I was fairness because I didn't tell them where I lived. So mm. how are they? How are they meant to send it to you? Exactly. Anyway, any other uh, trends you've noticed with million dollar yeah, Kickstarters? Yeah, yeah. So off the thirty-one, mm-hmm. nineteen of them were D and D five E. Yeah, and a further eight were based on an existing IP. That means of the 31, only four of them were original games. Oh, and that's Coyote and Crow. Yeah, I can't remember which ones they are now. Uh, yeah, Coyote and Crow will be one. Yeah. Shadow Dark. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mothership. Oh, right, yeah. And Dolmenwood. Interesting. So they're the only four that were not based on an existing IP of some kind, either D&D 5e yeah. or... You know, like Blade Runners or a comic yeah, book yeah. or... Uh, Anything or, by Free League, yeah. <laughs> or like in, in Monty Book Games' thing, like the podcast they do. Um, yeah. They, not that they do, they... Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They yeah. license. Yeah. Yeah, popular podcasts so license, and they make games. Yeah, not yeah. a licensed product. Yeah. So it does I, say, you, you pretty much need, unless, you, you, unless you know, you're very lucky, you pretty much definitely need a link-in. It's very hard to do it on, on a, orig, a completely original game. Very yeah. hard. Very yeah, hard. Completely. Yeah. And I think I think Coyote and Crow did that because they really tapped into a need in the market. Because mm. there isn't there isn't a product like that that has that yeah. sort of yeah. indigenous futurism sort of, you mm. know, vibe. So that's why people really picked up on that because it's a new different type of story. Mm. Mothership, I think they did their marketing of actually giving away the game. That was very clever. That was very, very clever. Very, yeah. The way they did their marketing. If you're if you're doing, an it was like a year's worth as well, wasn't it? It was. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a lot. I mean, if you're if you're in doing your own original RPG, I'd definitely say look at Mothership and see what they did as a case study yeah. to see if that would work for yeah. you. Yeah. And the and I'm not sure about the other two. What were the other? Why do you think the other two managed um, it? So Dolmenwood. I mean, it was the one based on fairy tales and folklore of the British Isles from Exalted yeah. Funeral who. Well, they're quite an established publisher, aren't they? Exactly. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that, that it might, it might, it might be down to that to an extent. Yeah. I think they have quite a good reputation in yeah, terms of like fulfilling yeah. and making stuff. So people, yeah, they've probably grown a good audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah, they are they're, they're experienced Kickstarters. 
So, yeah, so that, and what was the other one? I can't remember what the other one was. I cannot remember what it was. Shadow Dark, yeah. Shadow Dark, I believe there was a, a sizable pre-existing following, maybe. Okay. I'm not sure. Fair enough. I'm not sure. Um, that was kind of like a sort of OSR-style gaming kind of modernised. It does say classic adventure gaming for 5D and old-school players alike, so it does lean on existing yeah. IP a bit. So it's not... Yeah. I, I'm not 100% sure I, I, I qualify that in those four. Yeah. So maybe it's just To three, be honest. Really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, it is very, very, very hard to do. As we've discovered, I mean, we've tried to do it a few times. It's uh, it's really, really, really hard. Yeah, making a, a new RPG product and, and putting it out there is mm. difficult because people, you know, there's all the barriers that we talked about before to learning a new system and investing in it, especially if it's a new Kickstarter because you're like, well, I don't know if this game system is any just, good. It's also just not even just that, just getting people's attention in the first place. Yeah. You know, it, that's hard. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, anyway, so that was that. Um, so the average campaign, so we said that for us and our internal stats, mm-hmm. we, we keep track of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. On average, we do 30% of our funding on the first day. Yeah. For these We've got a few outliers, numbers. but generally that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the average, yeah. For these, it's 26% is the average. Okay, yeah, that's pretty, yeah. But it's a lot more swingy than ours. So yeah. there's some of them are up to like 50%. And I looked at those and a lot of those are the ones that have a lot of these early bird stuff. Yeah, which we don't do. Yeah. And there's a couple that are down as low as like 6% and stuff. Mm-hmm. Look, they had a slow burn and then took off. 6%? Yeah, That's yeah. yeah. I wonder if some of those, are they get picked up in marketing, like some publication partway through is like, hey, this is a thing. And everyone goes, watch. That is a good yeah, because I've, se- I've seen that on our web store before. Because we have an amount our web store generally brings in, and then one mm. month it went mad. Mm. Um, and this was not OGL, but I was like, "What's going on?" And I looked through, and I think it was like Polygon had done an article about us, or maybe it was Kotaku, or someone had. And so that can make a huge, huge mm. difference. So maybe if you get a major media outlet, that can it might have been that change the think trajectory. There was the early days of Backer Kit where, like Backer Kit was like they they'd come in, and mm. I guess. They weren't setting the budget so cautiously, maybe back then or something, because because some of the results were like the graph was just like trucking on, trucking along, stratosphere. Well, Backer Kit does a lot of social media marketing, and that's plugged mm. into. And I'm social media marketing primarily on like Facebook and Instagram. I think it's getting tired because people that use Facebook and Instagram are like, oh, it's all ads now. So mm. I go on, I don't see any of the content from my friends that I actually want to see. I'm just seeing ads. So I think there's just a saturation where how engaged are you looking at ads on your your Facebook page? Mm. Fair, fair. So I'm Um, wondering if that's part of it as well. Yeah. Well, the final stat I got there is the average campaign in the Million Dollar Club has 18.5 thousand backers. Mm -hmm. A lot of backers. The lowest one has 9,000. So basically, to get in that club, you need to be looking at 9K backers minimum. Mm-hmm. So, if you, if you put it's all this together, it is a lot of people. So, if you put all this together, the mm-hmm. a million dollar Kickstarter campaign. If you want, if you want to have a million dollar Kickstarter campaign, your your campaign is going to look something like this. So, it is going to probably be based on an existing IP, whether that's D and D five E or something else. Mm-hmm. Um, it is almost certainly, definitely, in fact, going to include something other than the game itself. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be Dyson Minis, but Dyson Minis are the two most common things, and they really, really push the pledge levels up. 
Mm-hmm. And your average pledge level needs to be sort of well over a hundred dollars, like hundred and fifteen dollars is what you mm-hmm. want the average person to be pledging. Like some will be pledging mm-hmm. more and some less. But that yeah. that is what it is. So that's what a million dollar campaign looks like. Yeah. Because like you compare that to like for example, we've got a campaign going on right now. Yeah. Obviously we don't meet any of these criteria. And we're no. definitely not it's definitely not gonna be a million dollar campaign, but it doesn't look like but, one. But uh but also because and I think in fairness you don't always have the goal of having it to be... I mean, obviously, it'd be nice if people spend loads of money on stuff, mm. but sometimes you're not trying to get the highest pledge possible, like, because we're doing the Level Up starter box. So we yeah. tried to make it really affordable. So mm. we're, we purposely tried to make the average pledge quite low because we mm. want to make the system more accessible for people to access. So well, the base pledge, if you add in add-ons... The, oh, yeah, some of the add Yeah, like, the, the I'm All In pledge is, like, 440 quid. Uh, mm. But that's, like everything in the level up range obviously yeah. but like the base pledge which because i mean that's what box sets are designed for isn't it it's for somebody that's like do you know what i want to try it out see what it's about i don't want to invest mm. a huge amount in mm. it i want to i want to get yeah. it try it out see what i think and that's my dipping my toes in the water yeah. sort of thing our average pledge level on that is so the the box set itself is 30 quid mm-hmm. the average pledge level is 56 pound 65 yeah. So because people are getting add-ons, obviously. But the average yeah, pledge level yeah. is 56, 65. It's nowhere near what it would need to be in the million dollar Kickstarter club. It would need to be mm-hmm. double that. Mm-hmm. But that's that's what that is. I mean, if you look at the other stuff, we don't include miniatures. No. Don't have merchandise. No. Uh, this one doesn't have dice. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, and, it's not, and, and the it's reason, not built like a... The reason for that, though, is your profit margins when you do add-ons like minis, dice, and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It eats up so much of your profit. Mm. And if you're doing it at a smaller scale... And also you're shipping from all different locations as well when you start mm -hmm. doing that sort of stuff. And your logistics and timeframes go Mm. so wrong. I do see a lot of new time creators, not these million-dollar ones... But they, you see, see new time creators, they all hear, oh, million dollar Kickstarters all have these things. I should have these things in it. Mm. And that can generally be a really big mistake. Mm. Because for things like minis, um, you'll set up molding costs just to create the molding template for mass production for your minis. You're looking in the thousands for that. And that's before you actually get them made. Mm. So, you know, if you're promising yeah. that and you only get a small amount of backers... You could easily eat away any yeah. profit you have on a campaign by doing yeah. minis. The other thing is, when you're fulfilling so many things, mm-hmm. your fulfillment your fulfillment will often... I mean, not necessarily. There are some people out there that do all this and like they are so efficient and amazing and they get all that stuff out to people and mm-hmm. they're great. But there is a danger that your fulfillment is going to stretch like a year or two into the future. Yeah. And absolutely. You yeah. And you, and, you know, it's hard for you to sort of like move on to something else while mm-hmm. you're still trying to fulfill that yeah. last one. Hundred percent. That's why we're quite agile with our fulfillment. That we have, we have it. We have a really nice. Uh, I know I run it up, so it sounds. <laughs> I run it, so it sounds very big headed. But we have a really nice process for running and fulfilling our kickstarters now. Hmm. That you know, Yumi and Zin have kind of got down the process now, yeah. and I think it runs really quickly. So it means we. I don't know, but we've got we've we've got kind of a deliberate strategy though. That instead of chasing yeah. after the big 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 number of mm. kickstarters, we do lots of smaller ones, and it all adds up to you know. Yeah, in, yeah, a, yeah. in a given year, we'll. You know, we'll make the yeah. equivalent of a giant, um, you yeah, know, yeah. We'll just run around but... putting more stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it's but yeah, no. So generally, we can do a fulfillment in about six months, and you get your PDF the day the Kickstarter ends, and then you mm. get your physical books within six months. Which yeah, and that's assuming that that's not the quick starters, which are even quicker. 
Oh yeah, the quick start yeah. is like the following month. Yeah, yeah, but that's it's just a different model. So I think if you are so whilst Russ has said all these things, this is what million Kickstarters do. Please don't, if you're a creator, sit there and think this is what I have to do because mm. there are uh, different ways to do things and different ways that will suit you. That mm. was my only fear. I wanted to say, yeah, because um, yeah. yeah. having but, do, yeah, and you can also talk a bit about manufacturing then because you just started talking about manufacturing. We can just talk yeah, a bit yeah. about that. So, um, yeah. so yeah, so a lot of these things. So they basically involve having a whole load of different stuff, which you've got to get created, you've got to get them shipped, um, mm. and the shipping's a nightmare. I mean, if you're getting something shipped from Europe and something else shipped from China or something like that, and they've all got to go yeah. to a central hub somewhere and they get shipped out again, and they've got to be, yeah, yeah. you know, and all this sort of stuff. And um, I know mm. you've done a lot of this, Jess, so you, you know a lot more about that specifically than I do. But it's um, my job. But the way all of that adds up, and it starts eating into the profit margins. It does mean mm-hmm. that a million dollar Kickstarter might not necessarily make the creator as much money as a much smaller one could. Absolutely, it can look more flashy. Yeah, your prof. Yeah, your profit margin is probably a yeah lot mm. higher doing a smaller one where you're doing a quick just a book. You're printing it, maybe even doing print on demand to just send it out and have it yeah. done. Because also, if you've got to think about the admin time yeah. of, of, of doing that as well. Maybe you have to hire people to do stuff. Like, you hire myself and Zin to help with all that side of things. So, mm. if you're just one creator making the book, and especially if you've already written it and got the PDF kind of together, and you're just maybe crowdfunding to get it printed or get some artwork. Yeah, I think once you've got yourself a million-dollar Kickstarter, you are starting to think some of that money is going to be spent hiring someone to help me with this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe not, but um, yeah. Let's just talk about like miniatures because that's that's the big mm-hmm. one, yeah. And that does push up the pledge levels, and a lot of people do it, but they're yeah. not cheap and easy to do. So, what is mm-hmm. the process and sort of costs involved in getting miniatures made? So, I used to work in board game manufacturing. Well, at first, I started working part time at EM Publishing, and I was part time working for a board game manufacturer. Uh, and now I'm full time at EM Publishing, so I don't do that anymore. But I used to that. Oh, a lot there was a year game. when you ran away. I did run away to dig- for digital games because mm. they offered me a full-time job first. Uh, so, but then you came back. <laughs> well, because when I started in the games industry, like so many people, I had four different jobs because I was doing mm. like a few hours here and there for everybody and it is quite exhausting doing that because of the mental aid. But anyway, I digress. Anyway, manufacturing, yes. So mm. pretty much anything custom you're having made with like miniatures, with injection molding on a mass scale, uh, you're going to be wanting to end up doing in China. Or India. India's coming up as a big manufacturing hub for that. Yes, I'm getting an awful lot of emails and Facebook messages from people in India at the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, just because they have all the, especially, well, I can talk a lot about China because that is where I worked and what I kind of know about. So I'm not going to speak so much about Indian manufacturing because I don't have as much experience there, but I know that is a player uh, in the industry now. But yeah, the, all the factories just kind of set up for that. And those factories aren't kind of set up in Europe. We contacted our, for our box sets, we contacted the manufacturer that does our books and we're like, hey, we want to do some box sets, all these things. Like, And they couldn't do it, yeah. And they, they were like, we we can't do that at a competitive price. It's just not, it's mm. just not a thing. We're like, yeah, oh, okay, and it's fine. not to say it physically can't be done in Europe. It's just that yeah. China is so much more competitive for that sort yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Just because they've got everything kind of set up ready to go for that mm. from that front. Also, I know some people, when you talk about working with China, I think in some countries, working with China is very politicised. Mm-hmm. And so people sometimes have quite a negative view on it. And there's mm-hmm. also, validly, concerns about worker exploitation. And is that why yes. it's so cheap? Because I know, because, yeah. you know, when you buy like fast fashion and clothes and things like that, you're like, has this been made in this workshop? Is that why mm. it's so cheap? But I think if you work with a credible manufacturer and you talk to other people 
and talk to uh, manufacturers that have international teams. Mm -hmm. So they have people that they have from different parts of the world. Then mm -hmm. that generally, you're less worried about like that. Like So the manufacturers we're working with uh, to make our box sets for What's Old is New and for Level Up Advanced 5th Edition, we chose those manufacturers because I'd worked for them. So I was like, mm. well, I know this is okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know this is good. And the, the kind of manufacturers that I would I would kind of vouch for would be people like Longpack, Watts Games, Panda Game Manufacturing, Gameland. So mm. there's 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 manufacturers out there you can find other creators yeah. have worked with. There are and, a yeah. lot of them, I would say. There are a lot. There are a lot of manufacturers, so you do have a lot of choice. And I would always say, if you're choosing a manufacturer, don't just go by price because there's so many other factors like, you know, timeline, yeah. communication, quality, all these other things. So answering your question about miniatures, uh, creating them. So you're going to be like... I even asked that. Yeah, I know, because I'm going on long time. So you're saying, tell me about that process. So first thing yeah, I was saying was yeah, like, yeah, you're yeah, probably yeah. going to want to be manufacturing in China. Unless you're doing it at very, very small scale. Uh, and then maybe you could, you know, 3D print it yourself at home. Mm-hmm. But that right. means if obviously... If, you, if you've got a million-dollar Kickstarter, probably you're not doing it. If you're doing a million-dollar Kickstarter, no, there's no way you're doing yeah. mass production. But also, if you're doing a million-dollar Kickstarter, so you let's say you're doing a million miniatures, mm -hmm. the cost per unit is going to be quite cheap for that, and actually doing a miniature isn't going to be that much of a stress for you. Um, because the setup, uh, a big chunk... Um, usually, when I was doing board game manufacturing, people are ordering between like two and 5,000 units. Mm. That, uh, that means games complete games of whatever it is and that's still like quite a lot of games uh for a first print run mm. but with miniatures the setup cost per miniature just to get it set up so what you'll do is you'll need to have an stl design just like a 3d sketch of the mm -hmm. model uh, and you'll send that to the manufacturer and they'd look at it and they'd ask any questions and they'd if you're working with a good manufacturer they will point out things to you like hey this bit's a bit thin you that might snap and break and you know and you do a back and forth mm. to check the files correct but to set up the mold for that one miniature is in the thousands. Mm. But once you have the mold, you've got that kind of, that's done, that's set up, and you can repeatedly use yeah. that. So that's why it's good to choose your manufacturer because you're going to keep the same one for your reprint because they've already got the mold to, mm -hmm. and, you know, that's all done. And setting up the mold takes time as well. So it can be like two, three months to just create the mold. Mm. And that's before you're even manufacturing, doing anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So usually with the STL design, they'll do like a... Um, almost like a 3D print draft version and send it to you to have a look at mm. it. You're happy with it. Uh, so you can look at it. And obviously it won't be it won't be as, as good as the final one would be. There's a difference. Like, for example, we've just had the What's Old is New pre-press version of the box set that you got. And yeah, you were really yeah, happy yeah. with that. And I explained, oh, this isn't even the quality that the final one's going to be. I'll tell you what, I guess. I yeah? mean, honestly, if that was the final quality and I, I bought that, I'd be happy with it. But this, yeah. But well, so if great. it's going to be even better, better quality than that proof copy, then wow, cool. Absolutely. Well, that one's yeah. coming. So we'll tell you what. I'll, I'll also talk about box sets making making that. We don't have miniatures in our box set, but we've got punch board, dice, and paper yeah. components and things as well. Um, but if we had miniatures, so making a miniature will be about a few months to create the mold. All manufacturers are different, so you'd need to speak to them about time frames. And then you'd need to approve it. Assuming you're happy with like the the draft version they give you, they'd go on to create the molds, molds mm. and get your sign off for that. Then the molds be created, and then they'd send you kind of the final version to kind of sign off to do that before you even go to mass yeah. production. And that can be in the the thousands to create a mold for that. Uh, so if you think if you've got a miniature game, it's very rare that they ha you have one miniature. You usually have like five or six. Mm -hmm. So instantly that could so be that's like five or six molds. Yeah. Yeah. So that could be like five to ten grand straight up. Then that's just to create 
the mold templates before you've even actually done any manufacturing of creating a physical thing to give people. Mm. So there's a lot of setup costs when you do uh, custom on complex plastics. So five plastics. to ten grand per mold or four or five? Or five. I mean, oh, so, so I mean, grand or so per mold isn't so But again, bad. this really depends on the design of your miniature and how complex it is. Mm. Which is, I always find it difficult because when I was quoting for manufacturers, people say roughly what it's going to be. And I'm like, oh gosh, mm. it's so hard to say until you go away and do the numbers. Mm. And this, the cost per unit is so scaled down when you do it much so larger. So that's, that's, well, that's another point, isn't it? So the cost mm-hmm. per unit, like mm-hmm. how much, I mean, I, I'm quite familiar with how much the cost per unit works with books. Mm-hmm. And I assume it's fairly similar with other products. But sort of, what mm-hmm. are we talking about? So, if you're looking at one miniature, yeah. as opposed to say thirty thousand miniatures, what's the difference we'd be looking at? Cost per unit. Yeah. Huge. Well, because if you did just one miniature, yeah. then you have the setup costs that yeah. could be so several thousands. That. Yeah. You would. You would never. Okay, but many, if you ignore, many, ignore, yeah. ignore the setup cost. Okay, so just the manufacturing after that. It re- and I know this sounds so awful. It really depends on how complex the miniature is. Mm. So it could be like anywhere between one and five dollars, depending on what it is. Mm. Like for just the one. Yeah. But if you if you had like thousands of them, that would drop drastically. In that range, yeah. 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 What I'd say is before you commit to do anything, get some quotes from manufacturers. Mm. Also ask what their minimums are, because a lot of yeah. manufacturers' minimums for custom stuff is they need at least 2,000 units. Yeah. I think so, what, is, what is a temptation to avoid, definitely, mm-hmm. is stretch impulsively adding stretch goals. Yes, don't Especially do that. Especially for... Never do that. I mean, digital stretch goals maybe, but for physical objects, like a miniature or something like that, you could really think carefully about that because that, you're going to be tied up with that for a long time. Yeah, it's going to delay your overall project. Yeah, and it's always better to any timeline we do for logistics and fulfillment. I add two months mm. of, and I put it on the project management sheet of faffing time. Yeah, so <laughs> this is just time yeah. where we're waiting for customs to come through, or we've sent an email to the manufacturer yeah. giving our feedback, and they. Spend, yeah. And it's not that people spend ages doing it. Maybe someone takes 48 hours to reply to an email, which is mm. perfectly reasonable in my mind. Um, and then there's a back and forth happening. Mm. So I would say minimum add two months to your project schedule for just stuff to happen. Mm. And it's worth like, because right now we're fulfilling to save a kingdom, which we launched in, which closed in like April, mm-hmm. I think around then. I yeah. And so we started, yeah. Um, so the books, so the printing went really well, but I, we, and we had them early. So I was able to start shipping in the UK in August, a month early, but our books got caught in US customs for three weeks in the US. So, but hmm. we're still delivering on time in September. People are getting their books now because I put the two months faffing around time in. Uh, so I'd, I'd say always do that. And if you are shipping from multiple locations, that can absolutely happen there. Yeah. So that also, of course, the whole mm-hmm. shipping aspect of it is a logistical yeah. nightmare that we've barely touched on yet. And yeah. shipping, I shipping mean, is in, wild. My, in my experience, shipping is by far the biggest cost in what we make. More yeah. than making the making the stuff, shipping yeah. the stuff, just moving yeah. the stuff to the from from the where, from from, well, from the manufacturer to the warehouse because you've got to ship it from the manufacturer to wherever you're storing stuff yeah. and then send them out individually. Yes. And that, you know, so I mounts use up. two different terms for that, and I, I price it in our sheets for that. I do shipping costs, which is just mm. moving stock around locations, and then fulfillment, which is 
leaving yeah. us at EM Publishing to go directly to yeah. the yeah. customer, the person yeah. who's bought it. Yeah. Um, and when you add up shipping and fulfillment costs, they are an enormous chunk of things. Mm. And normally you'd look at it and you'd say, oh, well, just surely you just give that cost on to the customer because you have people back their pledge and then they have their shipping price. But sometimes they're so high you can't because they just look at it and laugh at you. Exactly. So Even you though- have to subsidise it. So you have to subsidise it. So it's far better if you were going to sell your book for, I don't know, £20 uh, and charge £10 shipping. It's actually far better for you to charge £25 for your product and then £5 shipping. Mm. Because psychologically, people feel more comfortable doing that. (laughs) It's not sneaky. It's just because it's going to cost me a certain amount Mm. to create and send you this product. Mm. And if that costs me, you know whatever it is, I want to charge you for that amount. Yeah. Does it really matter where that pot of money is coming yeah. in from? So, so the shipping side of it as opposed to the fulfilment side of it. Yeah. So the fulfilment side of it's not so bad because generally speaking, backers will pay, if not the whole amount, some of the costs. Yeah, of well, we, we subsidise those costs exactly for that reason. Yeah, so by quite it, a lot as well. I, I, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I have explained we, to we, you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Kickstarter campaigns. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The shipping side of it. Yes. And believe me, I paid some of these bills. They're not small. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, some I mean, of them are so big, it's like my banker said, that's literally too much that you can spend, send in one day. I had to split it, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, shipping has got wild since 2020. And I feel like it hasn't really calmed down as much uh, since. I mean, it has a bit. Air, air freight has calmed down a bit since then. Mm. But yeah, it's. Uh, I started working in logistics in. March of 2020. What a time mm. <laughs> to start! Uh, well, there was so I nothing start... else going on around there, was there? I, yeah, that was when I got my <laughs> first like dedicated job as a logistics manager for a games company, mm. and it was so wild. So shipping, um, usually you're going by sea freight because that's cheaper to send it by sea than by air. And if you're doing a big load of things, it's so much cheap. It's just insanely cheaper. You want to do it that way. And the way that works is you're ve- you know like um big cargo shipping containers you're paying for those to get from a to b but there's a whole system set up where obviously if containers are going from port a to port b when they get to port b they're going to load up there and go back to port c or port a and stuff and they want people to pay for different parts of it in 2020 because of covid the flow of shipping traffic wasn't quite the same so that meant suddenly at port a we only had half the amount of containers we normally do because they were all stuck at Port B with nowhere to go because they know nowhere was going out from Port B because of COVID and stuff like that. And so that meant all the containers at Port A, because there was half the amount, they just charged double the price mm. because they could because you have no choice. Mm. Yeah. And what you do when you are shipping somewhere, if you can, you either uh, hire, like it's like renting a space, a full container, but you'd need to have quite a lot of games to do that. Uh, but the normal thing you would do is you would bid for space within a container. So your mm. palette of games would go in with with other whatever other cargo is going. Uh, and you the way it kind of works is you. I'd recommend working with a broker that does this for you, especially if you're shipping from China, because all the paperwork's like you know not in English. Mm. Uh, and so, and also you don't know the local laws and customs and things, so you're gonna maybe make an error. But anyway. And yeah, broker will basically bid on the space for you, but because it's a bid, it's like being at an auction. So the price, mm. price, yeah. is the price is. Yeah. And so I remember when I, in twenty twenty, I was first I was arranging containers to take all these products um, from China to the US, and the prices were um, I think originally the the budget 
I can't remember what it is now, but let's let's say for argument's sake, it was like five grand we budgeted to get from A to B. Um, the costs were like we're getting quotes for like fifteen grand, uh, so it was like hugely more. And so I went back and I was like, "This is what I'm getting quoted for." The person I was working for at the time was like, "Something must be wrong here. Let me check and do that because this can't be right." And I was like, "Okay," because I because I was new in the role, so I assumed, "Oh, maybe I did something wrong." No, no, that's just how much it costs. And there are times even now where the prices go up at certain times of the year. And there's nothing you can really do about it because that's just how much it costs. Mm-hmm. So you're kind yeah. of just at the mercy of what the market is doing right now. Mm. So when you've got these million-dollar Kickstarters and they have got miniatures and they've mm-hmm. got dice and they've mm-hmm. got pins and they've mm-hmm. got T-shirts and they've got mm-hmm. dice trays and they've got yeah. like a whole load of different stuff, mm-hmm. it's unlikely that one manufacturer is going to be making all that stuff for you, putting it in a box that you well. can conveniently send to uh, uh, and then you can conveniently send that on to the customer. Well, that is not necessarily true because a lot of manufacturers, especially ones that specialize in games, mm. are quite used to outsourcing and doing that for you. Right. So when I worked for a manufacturer there, like we had one <laughs> person that had done a crowdfunding campaign that was getting a quote for, and they were doing socks as part okay. of a, Yeah, I know, just geeky socks, fair enough, as part of it. Now, we in our factory do not make socks. However, because of where we are in Shanghai, it's like a real factory town. We knew that we had a local partner that provided them. Mm. So we're like, actually, tell you what, let me get you some samples. And so as the main manufacturer, we kind of sublet out Mm -hmm. to that other partner place to make the socks and send it to them. So that meant for the end customer buying it, there was one person there to deal with. So actually, if you are dealing with a large manufacturer... They're, they probably can do that for you. So, and actually, that logistically, that. Okay. yeah. And obviously, you're paying a margin because they're going to take a cut for managing that process mm. and doing that. So, it won't be as cheap as if you went directly to that mm. sock manufacturer. <laughs> yeah. But, like. But then, if but, you went directly to the sock manufacturer, you're also then going to have to pay for the sock manufacturer to ship stuff to you as well yes. as the dice manufacturer to yes. ship stuff to you. Yeah. And if they're being shipped in the same box, mm-hmm. the shipping is much less. Yes. Yeah. And then it comes down to if you want to pack and manage it yourself as well. Because actually, there is a, a sneaky thing that you can do in the US. So I can't remember the exact loophole, and don't quote me on this, but there was a loophole last time I was in the law that, you know, you can get made in the USA put on products. Mm-hmm. What you can do is that counts as if you assemble a certain percentage of the product in the US. So what mm-hmm. you can do is print all your, your paper components and things in the US, mm-hmm. have your dice or miniatures or whatever made in china and get them shipped to the u.s and then if you assemble them in the u.s you can put made in usa on them Mm. which feels a little underhanded and things but people do do that sometimes but that means it depends on how much work you want to do like because i know there are some people that do crowdfunding creators and they literally get all the products sent to their house and they spend weeks like packing up putting things in parcels and doing that that's a thing that some people do and it is significantly cheaper but it's your your time we don't tend to do that because we don't kind of we don't have the space where we live to physically get all those books in and do that so we use a third-party warehouse so the books mm. get sent straight to that warehouse and then they go out from there so we don't actually have to touch all of the, the books and things in that way but that's more yeah. expensive and also we need warehouses in multiple continents as well because yes yeah yeah because yeah. yeah, we're a global market mm. um, but yeah but Shipping and logistics, when you have multiple items, gets, yeah, very, very complicated and very Mm. involved. And if you do a million-dollar Kickstarter, your full-time job is going to become doing logistics, fulfillment, 
business management stuff, dealing yeah. with customs. Especially for the first time. The first I remember, time. I remember yeah. you setting up some of our stuff for the first time mm-hmm. and the forms and the custom stuff and yeah. it took so long and yeah. you like trying you didn't understand why things weren't working and they wouldn't give you the information you needed and mm-hmm. it was a massive massive complicated process yeah. and once it's all set up once it's a little easier the second time but yeah even so you still got forms each time and you still got yeah all this well i think the more you do something like the more i do something the more used to it i am and mm. generally now because we have a process set up i'm working with the same partners as well mm. so, so now you know them, yeah yeah so i know them so i'm very used to because we print in europe uh, our books and then they get sent to the uk and to the us and that process is kind of down now and runs quite smoothly and i know mm. we said we had the customs inspection but we didn't get charged anything because everything was good with our customs forms brush his shoulders off um, <laughs> uh, but sometimes you can just get random inspections because that's uh, mm. especially because we are a foreign importer and we're not a regular importer because we import three or four times a year maybe so mm. that just flags in our sy- their system as something to check because it's mm. unusual but yeah the more you do something the 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 more you get used to it but the first time you'll do it it'll take you a really long time because also a lot of it's just bureaucratic administration Mm. Uh, dealing with stuff if you're doing global fulfillment so I, I generally to new creators i say it's generally best to just do fulfillment physical fulfillment in your country because then you have much more control over it and it's a lot easier logistically and then just do digital digital fulfillment for the rest of the world yeah, and that I know, does that does upset people though it does upset people and i understand it but if you're a first-time creator it's better to do something small and do it correctly Mm. and then on your next project you can open up because you're like okay i know how to do my domestic shipping i know how that works so i can do that this time let me learn how to ship to wherever now if Mm. you live in america if you live in the u.s then you're very lucky because that is like a really big audience you've immediately got access to Mm. if you're a creator in the uk that i understand that that's a bit more of a difficult you know decision to make because it's still the second of the choice is probably still the second most fortunate location i guess yes, for, yeah, for, our, for our industry i would um, yeah yeah but there is just there's less physically a present there'll be a percentage of the population that plays role-playing games and a percentage mm. of that wants your product etc etc mm. and there's just less people in the uk than there are in the us mm. mathematics so, jessica scale of yes. economies and all that yes so you have to think about these things but talking about a little box set let's talk but, let's, let's look at our box set okay, okay. um so we've done we've done two recently well, we're doing one right now, and we did one. We are crowdfunding so at- right now for Level of Plants with Edition. Yeah. We crowdfunded already for What's Old's New, although the backer kit is still open, so if you missed out, you can jump in. They're, well, they're quite similar component-wise, so they're comparable. So let's look at the What's Old's New one, because that's done, okay? okay. Um, and go through that process. So what, we, so what we have in that one, and mm-hmm. the Level Up one has very, very similar. I think the only thing the Level Up one doesn't have is we haven't dice. put dice in that one, have we? Yes. Yeah, but we did in the what's already yeah. new one. Yeah. So, because if you're using level up advanced edition, we assume you know D and D and already have yeah. a set of dice to play mm-hmm. with because you play D and D. Yeah. With what's already new, it's a D six dice ball system. So you but anyway. So with the box sets, both of them are a physical box, like a board mm-hmm. game box, uh, a te- and that's referred to as a telescopic box, the one where it just one sits on the other piece. Uh, you have character sheets, which is printed, uh, stock paper, punch board cards, uh, tokens which are punch board. Uh, we Very have nice. fold-out A3 maps, rule books, uh, which a starter rule book, and a adventure booklet. Uh, and these are kind of bound books there. Have you actually seen these? You haven't seen these, have you? No. I haven't seen the... the so these, are the, these are the pre-generated characters. 
I'm, I've seen the digital versions, but I haven't seen the physical version because it was sent to your house to, to review. Countess? Mm-hmm. Tokens, is it real? It's Can great for the podcast. It's great for the podcast, yeah. I'm just waving box components around. At me, and, and I know yeah. them, yeah. Yes, yeah. So they are very nice. They are. So that's kind of the contents of the box set. So that's mm-hmm. a lot. And then we have dice. And so there's a lot of paper components in there and dice. Uh, and the good thing about printing on paper is the manufacturing process is a lot quicker. Um, also with dice, we didn't do custom dice for this to one, keep the cost low and two, so lower them. the manufacturing time. Cause yeah. that takes off two to three months mm. of manufacturing time, which we felt was better for yeah. our backers to get. So all that done. stuff was done by one manufacturer. So Correct. we didn't have to, um, we didn't have to like combine things and do all that sort of stuff. Yes. So that one manufacturer was able to handle dice, books, a box, tokens well you say was uh, maps it's not done yet we're still in in the process yes okay but you know they they, they, yes. do, they, they could do all of that in one go yeah and a lot of board game manufacturers uh, so if you are an rpg creator and you normally just get your books printed it's a different process to printing a book or you know working with that so um and generally i'd say advice is go to board game manufacturers because they're used to being a one-stop shop for all different types of companies and they can do books as well and so they book, can do books. Yeah. Book, yeah. Manu- book printers can't mm. necessarily do the other stuff, but board game manufacturers can do the books. It's well, the, kinda... the manufacturer we chose, Longpack, originally started mm. as a paper printing company. They used to do purely books. So mm. they are very good at paper print. They're very yeah. good at lots of stuff, but they have been running for like decades doing print. So mm. they aren't with this. Anyway, so the process. So the first thing that will happen is you'll want to get a quote based on all the components that you think you need. Uh, and you usually... Now we, got, do... we got quotes from like three different companies, didn't we? Yeah, I'd say always yeah. get quotes from at least three. And I go around to manufacturers that uh, have good reputations and that are trusted. Uh, and then when you're doing the quoting process, like I said before, you, you of course you're looking at price. And also tell your manufacturer what your goal to retail price is. So we went to someone mm. like, hey, we're looking to, to for this product for us to sell it at about £25. So then they know how much what their target is and they can make recommendations on components mm. to make it cheaper or more expensive. They can say, look, this is within your budget. This will be a bit nicer, but and ask them to give you options in different areas. So, like, we did ask for a quote with custom dice, so, like, how much difference would that be? And, you know, mm. and when you're... So, obviously, you're looking at price, but also look at the communication during this process. How How is that communication with you? Is it good? Is it difficult? Because this is what's going to be like when you're, when you're manufacturing. How quickly do they get back to you? Do they fully answer your questions? Um, and look out for yes-men as well. Someone that just says yes to everything. Big mm. red flag. Huge red flag. Mm. Um, I generally try and find uh, a way for people to have to say no to me because uh, that's my test, uh, mm. whether they're a good and honest person because some people feel very uncomfortable saying no and they feel so like Give me an example of a question that you might ask that you're kind of hoping they'll say no to. Timeframes. Mm. I ask for a ridiculous time frame. Like, oh, do you think we could get this done in like a month? Yeah. And if they come back and say yes, yeah, you're we'll like, try. Okay. I'm like, absolutely I, I, I know, no. I know, yeah. I know you can't. So, yeah. yeah. So... Okay. I usually like think of something uh, if I haven't worked with them before. If it's someone I've worked with before, then I don't need to do that. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I still always get like multiple quotes and things. So have a look at your quotes. Obviously, you're looking at price because it needs to match what you're doing. And generally, you're going to want your printing costs uh, to be a, at least a fifth of what you're selling it for. Because hmm. uh, bear in mind, if you're in the UK, box sets also you're going to have to pay uh, that. 20% mm-hmm. VAT value-added tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, and depending on the country you're in, you might have different tax rules between books and box sets mm. as well. So check that out. And if you're selling into other markets other than your own, check the rules of the markets mm. you're selling into. 
But anyway, so you have the quoting stage and let's say you're happy and you, uh, when you're quoting, you'd get quotes for different amounts. So you know your minimums, your maximums. So you have that all before you've done your crowdfunding. Uh, so you know what price things are and you know your timelines. I'd also ask the manufacturer to give you a rough timeline for how long things are so you can correctly put on your crowdfunding when people can expect the date. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say for manufacturing box sets, especially if it's your first time, add three months onto that timeline for faffing time like I do. Mm. Trust me. And people always say, no, no, trust me. It'd be so Things much... will happen. Because yeah. how... But even if they don't, how happy your backer's going to be if you say, actually, we're fulfilling two months earlier. Mm. Yeah. So, yes, give yourself time. Anyway, so you do all that. You have your quote. Your crowdfunding campaign, which is a whole other thing in itself, runs and you know how many uh, you're going to be ordering. Fab. Mm-hmm. So next, you need to send your artwork files to the manufacturer. And usually there's a bit and back and forth with tweaking the files. They're like, oh, this section needs 100% of this color saturation and the trim mm. on this needs to be blah, blah, blah. Anyway, anyway, there's what, all what you're talking stuff. about is like for books, it's like the whole PDF of the book in the yes. format that they want. It's, yes, yes. Yeah, token art or The layout or of the match. punch board files. And most yeah. manufacturers will give you templates that they use. Mm. So ask them for their templates and their fo- how they want the formats done. And mm. then if you're doing that yourself, then you'll need to follow those rules. Or if you're hiring a graphic designer, you'll need to give them those files to them as part yeah. of the brief to tell them how they need to format it. And you're what going- I would say mm-hmm. is if you're not really good at graphic design and layout on a technical level, mm-hmm. like me... For print, yeah, because that's a whole... Scan. That process is basically opaque, certainly for me. I mean, obviously, we we have graphic designers and layout artists that do this for us. Yeah, yeah. But if we send we send like a PDF of a book just to a book company, that alone like complicated stuff like tokens and stuff to uh, mm-hmm. a board game manufacturer. When they come back with this whole list of things that they need you to change, and I look at it and I go, literally, don't understand what any of those words mean. Yeah. So if you are a creator who's not quite familiar with like technical layout stuff. Mm-hmm. you might want to think about that beforehand yeah. because you might end up having to hire someone to do that. If you're, if you're used to doing the layout on a basic PDF for yourself, like I can do that, a ba- really basic layout for yeah. a PDF. I can do that and have done in the past. But mm-hmm. Preparing files for print. Just, just leagues, leagues above what I'm able to do. Yeah. So Making sure files for print are prepped correctly. Yeah, yeah I'd say you'd want to hire um, a graphic designer that specialises in yeah. kind of yeah. yeah, and there's lots of technical terms that start coming in and stuff like that that mm-hmm. I just don't know what, even, yeah, what yeah. they mean. I just pass them on to the graphic designer and say, okay, I, I know what that means. Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah. we just work with smart people. But anyway, yeah, that process yeah. will happen, and there'll usually be a bit of back and forth. Do allow a couple of weeks for this process, because especially if you're like us, like I will give the files to the manufacturer, the manufacturer will come back with notes, so we'll need to mm. give them to the designer. Um, and so it is a back and forth process. And then finally, you agree that the artwork files are there, everyone's happy with them, then you will get... Now, you should always get this. Not all places offer this. Ours is mm. offered free of charge because our manufacturer wants to make sure we're happy at the as end as customers. Some manufacturers will charge you for this. I'd say it's always worth getting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is a pre-production sample. Yeah. And this is what we already have now. Of the That's what I was just waving set. around earlier. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, for, for all the listeners that could see Russ waving that around. <laughs> on the podcast the audio yeah. format yes so you will get a version of that so you'll get mm-hmm. the um and that's kind of like you know if you get a print on demand book so it's like the the version of that they've just made one copy and this is pretty much for you to see it all laid out and to check that everything's correctly lined up and there's nothing 
weird on it. And this is basically for you to agree that the artwork is correct so that the manufacturer has the sign off that before they start printing loads of them. Mm-hmm. Then what happens is the manufacturer will set up all the big machines like for paper that'll be the big presses like if you you know picture an old school um newspaper newspaper thing, thing. Right. like yeah. that yeah I mean it's not quite like, like the that, Daily Planet ah, yeah. exactly but that that style of big machines that are just going to do all this yeah. they set them all up so as it will be and then they make one on the line and then send it to you to review and that and mm-hmm. that's the one we're just waiting on now and then that's the one you review and yeah. to check. which is going to be the and same. That is, that this is one, exactly but quality. Yeah. yeah that is exactly what your customers will get so anything mm-hmm. you're unhappy with in there you'll need to you know you need to let, let them know about that mm. um assuming that all goes well and you're happy if not obviously you do another iteration where you have to change update the files reset up the machines do another sample mm-hmm. and again that's always worth paying for some places say do you want us to send you a photograph and a picture of it and I would very much not recommend that. I think it's worth the extra time mm. to do that. But anyway, so then they go to mass production. And that can take, like, depending on what you're doing, that could take two to three months and how many you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that will take that amount of time. And, you know, because they'll need to do assembly and then they'll box it all up. And then you start your shipping phase. Uh, mm. Shipping is a whole... I could do another episode Horrible talking about thing. it. Yeah. I think we have done, actually. I think we have, I think yeah. if you look back in our archives... You've, I have. Told yes, us I've talked about, about shipping probably more than sh- once, actually. Yeah, probably. Well, but because it, it's a big thing. If, and if mm. you're an RPG creator, you're there to create RPGs. You're not. Mm. You're not like a shipping enthusiast. Maybe. Maybe mm. some people are shipping I, enthusiast. I wasn't. <laughs> but yeah. So and make sure in your quote you have the correct shipping in your quote, whether it's X Works, which just means that they are going to get it from their warehouse to the port, and the rest mm-hmm. is on you. Um, whether they're sending it delivery duties paid, which is they're going to pay for all the taxes, shipping everything and get it to your door. Delivery duties mm. unpaid is the most common one that I see yeah. that I'd kind of, you know, mostly go with. Um, so that means that they will pay for the shipping to get it to your door, yeah. but then you'll get a tax bill when it goes through customs that you'll pay, depending on the country you're going to. So then you have that phase, and depending on how where you are in the world, that can take a bit of time. So the actual mm-hmm. shipping from A to B, from like Shanghai to the US, is about three, about thirty to forty days, depending on where mm-hmm. it goes in the US. But that's not how long the time is because it's got to get to port, it's got to wait at port to be loaded, it's got to get on a ship at a specific yeah. time. It's kind of like if you go to a train station, you don't turn up and the train leaves the second you're there. You have to. There's a schedule. Um, so I would say add again another month for shipping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to allow for that and then add some time for customs for it getting through at customs and for port delays because uh, we saw that a lot during the last mm. few years uh, there were so many ships coming into a port that they just there was a queue to yeah. wait and it took a few months for that to clear so allow for things like that and then when it gets to your warehouse if you're working with a warehouse a third party supplier another thing i'd say is you have to wait a little while for them to get it, mm-hmm. receive it, put it in their system, uh, go through everything. And that can take another like three or four weeks for them to kind of get settled and sorted and pack everything up before things start going out. So don't think that, okay, books have arrived at the warehouse this week, next week they'll start going out. That's not how the process works. Yeah. I mean, speak to your own warehousing providers to talk about the timescales mm. and expectations, but that was another thing I'd say. So that's kind of the process. For us, we're also printing books in Europe um, so when trying to marry up timelines so things arrive at the warehouse at a similar time so mm. they go out at the same time. But yeah, and that's kind of how you make a box set and the main differences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also how you might do 
a Kickstarter with lots of components. Yes, which if you're yeah. planning to do a million dollar Kickstarter, that will be probably something Almost that a certainly. lot of them have. Yeah, very unlikely that you haven't got a lot of different components being made. But if you are a first time creator for RPGs, I would not recommend having a whole load of stuff and things. I think well, the... you do get you do get a few first time creators. If you don't do that and do it well, it's not that they can't. It is possible. Just, that would not be, be my recommendation. That's like yeah. saying, yeah, as an actor, you can make lots of money. Like Julia Roberts got a million for her last movie, so you can make lots of money being an actor. I think she probably got more than a million. You get my sentiment. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can make a lot of money as an actor, but how yeah. many actors actually out there are mm. making that much money? Mm. So being an RPG creator, you've got to look at it in the same way. Like, yeah, it's possible that it could go really well, but I would say if it's your first time doing it really just yeah keep it small do do your pdf do your book hmm. get that process down unless you're I mean, working with yeah. other providers I mean, and experts even for us i mean mm-hmm. I, I i still feel more comfortable in the sort of like fifty thousand dollar kickstarter range than the five hundred thousand dollar kickstarter range at yeah. which point you know the uh yeah, I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I, I kind of rather do what we kind of like do, like ten fifty thousand dollar ones than one five hundred thousand dollar one because it's easier. <laughs> <laughs> it is though, isn't it? It's just <laughs> especially when you've got, the, especially when you've got the system work to set up, and basically yeah. it's almost a. Yeah. Not a conveyor belt, but you know what I mean? You know what you're doing and everyone's in place and they know what their yeah. part in the process is and each product moves along that process. And you mm-hmm. don't, you, you know, you do oversight, but you don't yeah. even need to micromanage it at that stage because everyone knows what they're doing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'd say that our processes that I set up are designed to be completely scalable. So the process I'm doing for printing the books and that process for What's Old is New is the same that I did for the first Level Up campaign. Mm. And the Level Up campaign was like close to, was it like eight? Hundred thousand dollars. So I mean, uh, something. It, it was, was it was, was like, seven hundred and something thousand pounds, whatever that is. All right, so it, but was it depends like, on the exchange rate. It was nine hundred and fifty thousand dollars at the time. Yeah, but so I think was, the exchange rate's different now. Yeah, but so it was just shy of a million. So the process is the same that I'm doing. So it is a scalable mm. model uh, for that purpose. The main difference is the amount of customer service and messaging time mm-hmm. that you spend because you just have more people. Mm. so and because there's always a percentage of every campaign you do where someone will message you asking a question you've already given the information for mm-hmm. so you have to reply to them which is fine because they've missed it the best is when they reply on a kickstarter update that answers their question it's like your books will be with you on this date and they get ask in the comments what date will the books be with this and you're like this date <laughs> um anyway uh also you have an amount of books that will be damaged in postage and yeah, so you'll want a to do that's tests. a percentage thing that you cannot avoid yeah well the industry globally the industry average for shipments that gets damaged is 10 percent uh which is high yeah that's a scarily high amount yeah and that's globally in uh with our campaigns uh it's less than one percent hmm. but i'd say generally budget for five percent for you having to resend some stuff because we've all yeah. and this isn't any shade to any fulfillment provider you're having it's just we've all seen our local courier chucking something over a fence yeah. or leaving it in the rain or mm. do you know what i mean and there's mm. nothing that you or your warehouse can do about that yeah although what i would say to customers who receive stuff that like that mm-hmm. yes we will replace it absolutely but please be nice to us about it we didn't do it <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, you didn't come around your house and throw it over the fence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah, your, yeah. That was your local postal service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, uh, not us. I mean, yeah, we will yeah. replace it, but please don't shout at us. Yeah, yeah. I think some people think that in order to get attention and customer service, they have to shout and be rude. Hmm. And that there is, I noticed that that's a very much, you see that, because I think some customer services train people to do that, that the customer's always right mentality, just give mm. them what they want, has mm. almost trained some customers and rewarded them for that behaviour. Mm. Yeah. I mean, my, we my don't wife, get, as you know, works yeah. in retail. Yeah. And gets that, especially in person, uh, a lot. Like immediate aggression straight out the door yeah. just for something that's not an issue that they would even, you know, question. Do you yeah. know what I mean? They say, yeah, of course, we'll fix that for you. But Yeah. Yeah. So um, luckily, the majority of our supporters are not like that. Mm. Most of us, I've had people apologize to me whilst asking for their replacements, which has been very sorry. Mm. So I was like, I'm very sorry to bother you. but And their book's like ripped in half. They're like, I'm terribly sorry. I hope it's not an issue. But I'm like, yeah, I'll send you a new one. It's, it's more than reasonable. Same with yeah. us. But yeah, and I, that's another thing I'd say is, so when you are doing a million dollar Kickstarter and you have like six to 9,000 backers, do you budget a certain amount of replacements you're going to need to send to be 18, really... 18,000 backers. It's the average. Okay, oh, 18,000 mm. backers, yeah. So about 5% of that is mm. a budget to... You're going to have to resend them for various reasons. That's quite a yeah. lot, actually. What percentage is that? I have no idea. Hey, Siri, what's 5% of 18,000? 5% times 18,000 is 900. There you go. 900. If you think about that as well, one thing I'll see is that when uh, Kickstarters are coming in, you get people commenting that they got their books, but people also comment when their books are damaged. Mm -hmm. And if usually people only comment when there's something wrong. So if you have one of those big Kickstarters and you see 900 people going, my book was damaged in shipment, you 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 can look at that and think, oh, their shipping is terrible. But what's actually happened is that's the exact amount that you should expect from a thing of that size. And the only people that mentioned it are those people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. we had that with with Level Up. We had about forty replacements we had to send in the end, which is really low. Which is really low. Really so, low. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was less than one percent, um, which is really good. But we're budgeted for five. Mm. But some people are like, oh, looks like this went wrong. And I was like, actually, it went really well. Mm. <laughs> but if you're, not, I understand how it looks that way. Is if all you're seeing is is that side of it. Mm. So if you do get your book and you're happy with it, it'd be nice to comment on a creator's thing <laughs> saying, I got yeah. my book, thank They you. will appreciate it, yeah. Yeah, they will appreciate it's nice. It. Um, and basically, yeah. also, from that point of view, also, if you have, like, this is slightly peeling off, if you have backed something and you are happy with it, bear in mind that creator will be doing other things in the future and people will probably be looking at the past one. So just say something nice on it, just mm-hmm. on, on, on the previous one, just so when people check back, they see that. And mm-hmm. your, a creator will appreciate that. Especially Definitely. if it's a smaller campaign. Mm, like, yeah, exactly. yeah. 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 All right. I think we've discussed that topic. I think we have, yeah. Whatever that topic actually ended up being. Million dollar Kickstarters and making box and sets and things with lots of components. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that all just came about just because we were trying to explain how all these million dollar Kickstarters had all these different things and what the process mm. was in, in, in getting all those things done. Yes. But yeah. But 29 out of 31 of them, million dollar Kickstarters, include all this merchandise. Yeah. So it is almost unavoidable if you want a million dollar Kickstarter. If that's important to you. If that's important to you, yeah. Yeah. But I think to be a successful RPG publisher, you don't need to have a million dollar one. Oh, absolutely not, no. Yeah. 
No. So don't make that your measure of success necessarily. No, it's, that is very much an arbitrary and pretty much artificial benchmark. Yeah. The only yeah. reason it's there is just because it's yeah sounds yeah it sounds cool. Sa- it sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's nice to have one under your belt just to yeah. say that that. So from a yeah. PR point of view, I suppose it yeah. does sound cool. But a million dollar Kickstarter isn't necessarily going to make you more money than a much smaller one. Probably might do. Well, you know, profit. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, profit. Yeah. Anyway, and that's that for this week. That is that for this week. By the time we come back next week, not only will we have one or more Peters Mm -hmm. back again, we will also have an additional member of the podcast and member of the EN publishing team who Mm -hmm. is joining the company on Tuesday, Mm -hmm. but does not yet have a name. Right. (laughs) What's their role? Oh, we haven't decided what their role is yet. So Hudson is... What quality Head control? Head of quality control. Django is... Head of marketing. Right. So this puppy, whatever its name ends up being... Hmm. We do need a social media manager. Can you imagine that? A puppy, a social media manager. Someone That'd complains. That'd be great. The internet loves dogs. And the puppy just dogs. goes, I love you. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> People, the internet loves dogs. The internet does love puppies. That is true. So Russ is getting a puppy next week. I'm getting another puppy. Yeah. My current dog doesn't know yet. going to be great. Apparently, I now have to read this to you. This is the official podcast of Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, which you can find at enworld.org. You can find show notes at morris.podbean.com or wherever you found the podcast. If you feel like they deserve it, you can support the show on Patreon. In return, you will receive exclusive bonus content. Just go to patreon.com slash Morris. If you're interested in his babbling nonsense, you can follow at Morris on the Twitter. Send your emails to morrispodcast at gmail.com. Not all of your emails, just the ones you want us to see. That's it. I'm bored now. You can go away. Shoo, off you go. Goodbye. Get out of here. Wielding the dueling bundabas. Well then, for me, it's the trebucket. Trebuchet. Trebuchet. <laughs> Trebucket. <laughs> Dyslexia is great. Trebuchet. <laughs> I'll go laugh at someone in a wheelchair. I actually, I actually like Trebucket. Trebucket. <laughs> There's not even a K in it now I look at it. Oh. Anyway, Trebuchet. Uh. Did you not wonder what a Trebucket was? <laughs> it's, it's like a gun that <laughs> catapults buckets at people. Uh, <laughs> wait, okay. you can tell it's Friday. We're just not with it again. Okay. Yeah.